You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. If you have a Bible, let's go to Hebrews chapter 5 this morning. Hebrews chapter 5 is we are kicking off a new series that we've entitled The Rumors of God. Hebrews chapter 5, and while you're turning there, I want you to think about this. Have you ever asked yourself the question, God, where is the life that you promised in your word? God, why is it whenever I look in the scriptures, the Christians that I see in your word, the church that I see here in your sacred text looks so much different than my own life. Have you ever been there where you've wondered, God, where is the life that I've seen that you have promised in your word? If that's a question that you've ever pondered or asked, and maybe even are pondering right now in your life, then this series is for you. Because this is a series where over the next 10 weeks, our heart is that the rumors of God that you have heard about will go from rumors to reality. That what you have heard about God... And what you actually experience, you will see that gap begin to close so that you can experience the life that God truly does have for you. And as we kick off our series, I want us to look in Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 11 and we're going to read through chapter 6, verse 12. The writer of Hebrews says this, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore... Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, and let's go into maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, and who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted in the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces crop useful for those whose sake is cultivated and receives a blessing from them. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and it in the end will be burned." Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown him or shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire that each one of you show the same earnestness to have a full assurance of the hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and, um, Father, we just need to hear from you today. We do not need to hear, nobody needs to hear from me. We need to encounter you. We need to go from rumor to reality. And so I pray that right now through the power of your spirit that you will cut through just the busyness, through the to-do list, 
through the anxiety, through the distractions, and that you will take this word and that you will plant it in our hearts and that you will transform us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, how many of you in here have seen this movie that I'm going to put on the screen for you? There it is. The Matrix. Raise your hands. How many of you have seen The Matrix? Um, I love The Matrix. In fact, if I was going to make a top 10 list of movies in my life, this would probably be in the top 10. And if you're unfamiliar with the plot, let me give it to you real quick without like spoiling anything for you, for those that might want to go watch it. Basically, The Matrix is about this man, Neo, the guy with the cool shades and the cool jacket in the front. Um, and this plot, basically, what, what we see is that Neo is walking around his life with this low-grade sense of angst, that something's not right. Life is not as it should be. I mean, he's just disappointed and disenchanted. And then one day he meets Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fisher, right behind him, the guy also with some cool shades. And um, Lawrence Fisher comes to him, and what he does, he says, Hey, I got, a, I, got a couple, I got a little option for you, Neo. He says, I've got a red pill, and I've got a blue pill. Uh, if you want to take the red pill, you're going to go down a rabbit hole, but you're going to experience life as you've always wanted it to be. You're going to maybe have some difficulty. It's not going to be always easy. It is going to be messy at times, but you're going to be awakened to reality. Now, if you don't want this, Neo, he says, you don't have to take the red pill. Instead, you can take the blue pill. And if you take the blue pill, here's the thing. You'll go to sleep. You'll wake up in your own bed tomorrow. You'll forget any of this ever happened, and you'll just go about your life as you've always gone about it. Now, in the movie, Neo takes the red pill, and it makes for an incredible movie. And I won't spoil for you what happened. But imagine if in the movie he would have said, you know what? Actually, Morpheus, I've kind of got a lot on my plate right now. Um, I'm a little busy. Actually, I mean, to be honest, I know this may sound weird, but, but I'm actually okay with living my mundane life. I'm okay with the status quo. Imagine if he would have done that and then taken the blue pill. What kind of movie would that have been? It would have been terrible. right? It would not have been a blockbuster hit. And why is that? Because deep down inside, all of us in here long for more. Deep down inside, the reason that we love movies that are bigger than ourselves is we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We all in here have that low-grade sense of angst that maybe something is not quite right. Maybe there's more to this life, and we long for more of this abundant and full life. The problem is, though, as humans... I would say very few of us ever really pursue it. Rather than swallowing the red pill, we wake up each morning, as we will do tomorrow, and we get in our cars, and we drive to work, and we punch the card, we draw a paycheck, we pay the bills, right? And we just kind of hit repeat. We just continue to go through this cycle. Maybe we watch some Netflix. Maybe we show up here and you listen to the preacher preach. You might even get involved in a missional community and you might study the Bible and you might talk about what it means to really follow Jesus and experience the life he's called us to experience, but few of us ever really step out and in faith experience that life. Rather than taking the red pill, what we do is we just sit around and we talk about it. We examine it. We kind of look at it. Maybe we even taste the red pill but few of us ever swallow it. And as a result, life goes on as it's always gone on for you. You remain content about reading about the life of God, that he's promised in Scripture, but you never experience it personally for yourself. That's the dilemma 
that we find this church in in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, he is dealing with a group of people who have become spiritually apathetic. A people who he says in verse 12, by this time you should be on solid food, but instead you're still drinking milk. I want you to think about that for just a moment. I mean, can you imagine, right? If we look down here and we saw a baby nursing a bottle, we would not think anything about it, right? But if we looked and we saw Randy with a bottle in his mouth, that's going to be weird, right? Like even for Randy, that's going to be strange. <laughs> Some of you might even look and be like, I'm going to call the cops, right? Because I mean, like, that's not normal. Like, I can't even trust being around this guy, right? Something's weird. He's a grown man. He shouldn't be on a bottle. And yet that's the image that the writer of Hebrews gives us spiritually speaking. He says, some of you, you should be eating a filet mignon by now. But you're on a bottle. You should be experiencing so much more. And yet because you're still just, you know, just nursing that milk, you're weak, you're malnourished, you're actually producing thorns and thistles in your life rather than fruit. You're missing out on the life God has created you to experience. Sure, he says, you know these truths. You know about God and the life he's calling you to, but you're settling for rumors rather than moving deeper into the reality of the life that God has promised you in his word. I had to do some real soul searching this past week as I thought about this. When I first started following Jesus, the one word that people would use to describe me was passionate. I heard it all the time, man, you're so passionate, you're so passionate, you're so passionate. And I was. I mean, I would do crazy stuff. Like, I would try to recall all the sins that I'd committed. And I'm not saying this is healthy, but this is what I would do. I would try to recall all the sins I committed. I would write them down on a sheet of paper, and I would bury them in my yard and pray over them. God, bury my sins before they bury me. True story. I, I was a, someone who never read, never studied before Christ broke into my life, but I began to devour books and devour God's Word. I began to share my faith with anybody who would listen. I remember one time I worked at a church and we were next to the jail and there was an inmate that I got to share my faith with. And I was all excited. I'm sharing my faith. I'm like, man, praying that like as I'm sharing that God will save this person. And as I'm sharing my faith, I hear another pastor that was on our staff at the time literally say, there's Jared once again trying to save the world in a very condescending way. And so I went to him and I just said, man, what's wrong with you? Like you're a pastor. Why are you so cynical? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked right at me and said, you want to know? Jared, when you've been in ministry as long as I have been, you'll be just as cynical as I am. Literally what he was saying is, when you start leading a group of people, and you try to lead them down this path, and they just continue to settle for rumor after rumor after rumor, and you look at the church and the Bible, but you look at your church, you begin to say, you know what, none of this is going to happen. We're not going to see anybody saved. We're not going to see any lives really changed. And therefore, you just begin to kind of settle. And this past week, as I thought about this passage, I just prayed, God, please, please do not let this be true of my life. Please don't let this be true of our church. Please don't let us, Fellowship Paragold, ever become content with settling for a cynical life of spiritual mediocrity. If we can be honest, is this not a temptation for all of us? In the busyness of life, just to once again come here on Sunday morning and say, thanks for the songs, thanks for the sermon, deuces, and then just go live the same life we lived last week. That's a temptation not just for the church in Hebrews. It's not just a, a temptation for the pastor I used to work with. That is a temptation for each of us. And I think there's two reasons why this is. For one, 
We live in a culture of spiritual apathy. One of the bad things about living in the religious South is every single one of you in here are Christians. But you're not. Every single one of you in here, you say, yeah, man, I've read the Bible. Yeah, I've heard all these stories. When I preach the gospel, you say, oh, let me guess. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. I can never live, died a death. I deserve to die, rose from the dead, yada, 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 yada. I planned on preaching Ephesians 2 this week. I actually was super excited because it usually takes me about 15 to 20 hours to work on a sermon by Tuesday. Ephesians 2 was going to be awesome. It was going to be great. It's going to be like my best sermon ever, I felt like. I had illustrations, I had points, and on Wednesday morning I woke up and God said, don't preach it. And I believe the reason why is because I was going to get up and talk to you about the abundant life that you can find in God. And I felt like that God said, there's so many people that are spiritually empathetic that they're going to hear the gospel and they're going to agree and they're going to amen, but it's not going to settle into their hearts. And so what I want you to do, Jared, is get up and talk about why that is. I believe there are many of us in our culture today who have become familiar with God without becoming intimate with God. Because we live in a culture of spiritual apathy where we compare ourselves to other people who call themselves Christians who aren't really Christians, who are comparing themselves to other people who call themselves Christians that aren't really Christians. Another reason that I think that we tend to settle for a life of spiritual mediocrity is because not only we live in a culture of spiritual apathy, we live in a culture of comfort. Do you realize the pastor is writing to a group of people, to a church that actually started out really good, that at one time were excited about Jesus, but you know what happened? They begin to suffer they begin to experience hardship, and as a result, they backed off. As a result, they said, I'm not going to continue to do this. They say, look, whenever I signed up to follow Jesus, to be honest, I signed up because I thought I was going to get more friends out of this deal. I, when I started following Jesus, to be honest, I thought I could just keep living my life however I've been living it, sprinkle a little Jesus on top, and it would actually make my life a whole lot easier. But because they're experiencing hardship, they are backing off now. And what the writer says is, man, you started so well. You started so well, but he said, you've stopped growing. You should be teaching people, but instead you're still needing to be taught. This is so important for us to hear today, guys. Think about this. Some of you have been Christian, Christians for years, or professed to be Christians for years, and maybe you started well, but you're beginning to wane. You're not ending well. That's what our culture is like, by the way. I mean, we live on a culture, especially my generation, we just refuse to take a perseverance ride. Like, we are a generation that I would just say, like, we live every day like we live our New Year's resolutions. Like, in the fact that if you're like me, you make these New Year's resolutions, and then, like, you drop them as soon as it gets difficult. Like, so for me, this past year, I was like, I'm going to cut gluten out of my life. I don't even know what it is, but I hear it's bad for you. And so it's like, I'm going to cut it out of my life. But by January 4th, I'm like, cornbread, you know, biscuits, like, just pour gluten on me. I don't care. Like, I didn't, I didn't stick with it but like three days. Why? Because the diet got difficult. And we live in a culture where we think if it's hard, it must be bad. And so, yeah, Jesus, I will follow you, but only as long as it doesn't require sacrifice. Some of us in here, we have experienced hardship, and to be quite honest, we said, Jesus, I'm not sure the cost out, or the reward outweighs the cost, and therefore we have punted the very things that we know God has called us to do in his word. And if that's you today, listen to this incredibly sharp warning from the pastor in Hebrews. In chapter 6, verse 4 through 8, here's what he says. For it is impossible... 
In the case of those who have once been enlightened to taste the, or, and who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it produces crop useful for those who say it's cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if... But if your life bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless, and it is near to being cursed, and in the end, it is to be burned. Now, there are lots of views out there on what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. One popular view, and some of you grew up in churches that taught this, is what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that if you continue in sin, if you leave just kind of, kind of live your life thinking, you know what, yeah, it's a sin, but no big deal. You're not really convicted about it. You just keep going. What they say, some churches, is that that means you're going to lose your salvation. I don't think that's what the writer is saying here because that seems to go against the complete narrative of Scripture. I don't think what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that if you continue in sin, just kind of ho-hum, not really fighting against it, not really struggling, I don't think he's saying that you're going to lose your salvation. What I do think he is saying, though, is that it's a sign you maybe you've never really experienced salvation. That should be a warning, by the way, to everybody in here. Especially those of us who have become okay with the little sins in our life. Who have begun to say, you know what, yeah, sure, it's a sin, but it's not as big of a sin as that guy's back there. And so I think I am legit. I think I'm good to go. Guys, if that's where you are, if you've become content with these little sins in your life, whether it's sins of commission or omission, of not doing the things God's called you to do or doing things you know he's told you not to do, and you're just kind of like, hey, whatever. Listen, according to the passage, you are in a dangerous place. I don't care what your family heritage is. I don't care what your voting record is. I don't care what prayer you've prayed. I don't care how faithful your attendance is. If that's where we are, we are in a dangerous place. I was reminded this past week, I met with a woman a few weeks ago um, who shared with me a story about uh, she married a man who was in ministry and, and eventually he cheated on her. He blew up his ministry. She stayed with him. He cheated on her again like, two or three times. Eventually he just said, you know, see you later to his marriage. He ended it. Now he's not even really like loving their children, not really hanging out with them the way he should be. And as I listened to the whole story, two things came to mind as I heard her talk about how like now they're having to file for divorce and how, you know, they had these ideas of what marriage is going to be like. And now, I mean, it's just falling through. And as, I, as I'm listening to the story, two things came to mind. First off is it was a warning to me because I thought I could be that guy. I could be that guy. So it was a warning to me of God, please don't let me ever be that guy. But then two, here's what I thought. The thought crossed my mind. You know, whenever they got married... I guarantee you, he did not sit up on the stage or stand up on the stage and exchange the vows but secretly think, you know what I hope I do? I hope I drive this thing into the ground within five to seven years. He wasn't thinking, you know, I really hope that we get to have three beautiful children and then I can just crush them. He was not thinking, you know what, I hope that, that, that I can just be partially faithful to this woman and I can hurt her, that I can blow up the ministry, blow up her. He was not thinking that. What happened? Let me tell you what happened. What seemed like a seemingly harmless, sinful desire in his heart was kept unchecked and unabated. He was held accountable to no one. And as a result, that sin grew into where it eventually not only hurt him, but it hurt his children. It destroyed his marriage and his ministry. And at this point, it's keeping him from experiencing the life that God has created him to experience. 
I thought about Israel this past week. Israel is a great example of this in the Old Testament. I mean, Israel was in slavery for 400 years. They cry out to God, God, deliver us from slavery. And what does God do in his faithfulness? He decides to deliver them. He frees them from slavery in Egypt. But then Pharaoh, after he says, I'll let you go, he regrets his decision. He sends his Egyptian army after them. And they find themselves stuck between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, not knowing where to go. And what happened? God then parts the sea for them so the uh, Israelites can walk through dry ground. And then whenever the Egyptian army pursue them, God causes the water to crush the army. The Israelites then come out on the other side, and there is this land that they are on the hills of. This land that God says is flowing with milk and honey. A land that he promised them that is yours, that you can take it, and you can experience the life that I've created you to experience. But what happened? the people of Israel begin to be faced with some hardship. And they begin to complain. And they actually begin to say, some of them, it's better for us to go back to slavery than to go into the land that God has promised us. And one of the complaints, I've never heard this before until this past week, I read it for the very first time. In Numbers 11, listen to this, one of their complaints against God was literally this. One of the reasons they wanted to go back to Egypt is literally, Numbers chapter 11, read it for yourself, I'm not making this stuff up. They wanted to go back to Egypt because there in Egypt there was a soup with leeks and onions in it. Can you imagine? You're about to go into the promised land. You're about to experience the abundant life. The abundant life is about to go from rumor to reality. And all of a sudden you say, oh man, let's just go back. Do you remember that soup? You know, like the ones with the leeks and the onions in it? They go, oh yeah, I love that soup. Let's go back. And so how insane is this? They literally say like, let's go back through the wilderness. Let's try to swim across that sea. Let's go to Pharaoh and let's tell him, hey, put the chains back on so we can have the soup. It's ridiculous, and yet the writer of Hebrews says it's the same path that maybe some of you are on today. Some of you, you've heard the rumors of abundant life when you follow after Jesus. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come so you may have life and have it abundantly. You've heard the rumors, and listen, guys, you're trading off the promises of abundant life for something as small as a taste of soup. You're trading off the promises of God, the rumors of abundant life. For a much lesser passion. And you sit here today bored, disenchanted, disappointed, and wondering where is the life that I've been promised by God. You're missing out. So the question is this morning is what are we going to do about it? How are we going to ensure that we don't miss out on this life that Jesus has promised us? And I'm not just talking about like eternal life. I'm talking about life right now. How are we going to ensure the rumors that God has promised us go from being rumors to being reality? You want to know what the answer is? Here's the answer. It's going to seem so simple, and yet it's incredibly profound. If you want to experience the life God has promised you, you have to swallow the red pill. You have to realize that every moment of every day, you have an opportunity before you. To take the red pill or the blue pill. You have an opportunity every single day. Whenever you're at work. Whenever you're at home with the kids. Whenever you're sitting in front of that screen. Or when you're at the gym or at the grocery store. You have an opportunity to either take God's word and to swallow it. Or to push it aside. And say, no I think I'm going to go back to a life of spiritual mediocrity.
In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 15, verse 16, the prophet says, Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. If you want to experience the life that God has for you, you must learn to eat God's word. We cannot just show up here each week, and when I preach, you look and say, that's a pretty good sermon. Or actually, you know what, that was pretty crappy. That wasn't one of his best. Funny illustrations, though. Some really funny illustrations. We can't just show up at our MC meals and go through the discussions and just kind of check it off our box and say, oh, well, isn't that interesting? We can't get in, our, in the Bible and say, oh, I got a Bible reading plan. I got to do it because that's what Christians do. So let me just read it real quick. Okay, check. Time to move on. If we want to experience the abundant life that God has promised for you in your scripture, you need to stop and actually ask the question as you're listening to sermons, as you're reading the text, what does it look like to actually be faithful to God in this area today? What does it look like for me to swallow this, to apply it to my life in the everyday stuff of life? The reason I was sitting with this woman talking about her marriage, by the way, a few weeks ago on our front porch, the reason I was sitting there talking to her about what had happened and about how her husband had left her for this other woman or other women, is you know why? She called me and she said, hey, I heard your sermon on Jonah and how I'm to forgive my enemies and I need to figure out what that looks like with my ex-husband. That's swallowing the red pill. That's saying I'm not just here to knock something off my list. I'm here to take God's word, to eat it, to apply it to my life. And I'm not saying that whenever she does that, like life's going to be peaches and cream. It's all going to be easy. I'm not saying that at all. But if we're going to finally go from rumor to reality, we have got to be a people who walk by faith. And listen, sometimes you're going to walk by faith and things are going to go horrifically wrong for you seemingly here on the earth. John the Baptist was more faithful than anybody, and he had his head cut off for following after Jesus. So please don't hear like health, wealth, prosperity, like you step out in faith, and then immediately like, hey, here come the blessings, they're just going to flow, blah, 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 right? Like you need faith, and you also need a whole lot of patience. And that's why the writer ends this whole section, as he does in chapter 6, verse 12, reaction in verse 11, if we back up, he says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who what? He says we're to mimic those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. I love that the way the writer ends here is not saying, hey, you want to experience abundant life? Try harder to be better. You want abundant life? Try to please God. No, he says, you want abundant life? Try to trust God. Walk in faith. And even when it seems like nothing is making sense and everything is going wrong, continue to walk in faith. Be patient, trusting that the promises he made in his word are sure. They will come to fruition. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, tomorrow, but God is not a liar. He will prove to be true. I wonder how many of you, if we can just see a show of hands and be honest, How many of you in here struggle with patience? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, pretty much everybody, except for those that raise their hands, you also probably struggle with lying. And so, um, I'm just kidding. Some of you are just more sanctified than we are, and praise God for his work in your life, seriously. right? That's a fruit of the Spirit, patience. And so, if you didn't raise your hand, I mean, that's awesome. Um, 
We are a generation, listen to me, young people who we all have our lives together, right? We are an instant generation. I have Amazon Prime, which means if I order something from peanut butter to pens to books, whatever, I can get it within two days. And this past week, I found myself frustrated that it's going to take two days. We are a generation built on speed, are we not? Like, we want what it took our parents a lifetime to get. Like, we want that now for our lives. We are such a self-entitled generation. We honestly believe I deserve the best, and I deserve it right now, and without any effort or resistance. And so here's what happens. What that means is whenever we approach the Bible, we say, well, that was kind of dull, I'll just set that aside, not going to really do that anymore. Not going to press forward and learn how to really dive in. When it comes to prayer, we say, man, I didn't have a mountaintop experience like Adam says that he's had before, and so I think I'm just going to stop praying altogether. If you want to experience the faith that at this point maybe you've only heard about or seen in others, listen, you need to realize it's not going to happen overnight. It is not going to happen overnight. Do you remember Joseph in the story in the Old Testament? Joseph, in like when he's a young teenager, he's told by God, I'm going to exalt you to a position of power, and I'm going to use you to actually save Israel from this famine. Fourteen years later, Joseph is still in prison because his brothers sold him into slavery. Has not seen the promise come to fruition. If I'm Joseph, like I'm not sitting in the cell, Instagramming it, like taking a picture of the bars, being like, still in prison, but still clinging to the promises of God. Like, hashtag, God is faithful. I'm probably saying, God, where are you? You promised. You said it's going to happen. But that's not what Joseph is doing. He's remaining faithful. He's remaining patient. He's trusting that all of this will come to fruition. Some of you in here, you've heard the promises of God. I'm telling you, you've given up too quickly. You've given up too quickly. Like those in Israel who went back for soup and missed out, an entire generation, by the way, missed out on the promise God had told them they could have because they didn't trust Him. It got hard and they quit. That's where some of you are. Every day, remember, you have a choice. Every day, the red pill or the blue pill. You know what God's Word says. Do I want to take it and do I want to apply it to my life? Do I want to swallow it or do I want to take the blue pill and do I want to settle for a life of spiritual mediocrity? My hope is that in this series, you will stop just listening to the sermon and thinking, was it good? Was it bad? Was it a neat point? Was it not a neat point? My hope is that you will stop just going to the Bible and just kind of checking it off your list and that you will actually begin to meditate on what's being preached. That you'll think about what's being said and what you're reading. That you'll pray through it and that you will actually begin to digest it. And as a result, you will begin to grow, you'll begin to mature, and you'll move deeper into the life that God has promised to you. This past January... I was, um, I was in San Diego for a pastor's retreat with our summer pastors, and there was a guy there by the name of Albert Paul who I'd heard as a prophet, has a gift of prophecy, and that he just walks so in tune with the Spirit that he will just give you a direct word. He'll basically just read your mail to where you know like it has to be God. 
And so I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm kind of a little bit skeptical, but I'm sitting in one of his sessions and he's preaching and he's talking. And I, and to be honest, it's kind of a dry season in my life where it's like, I wasn't really feeling the presence of God. Like I normally do. didn't really feel super close to him. And, and was just kind of discouraged by that. Didn't know why that is. And so as he's talking, here's what I said. And I'm not saying this happens all the time, but this is what happened in January. He's up there talking and I just say, Hey God, if, um, if this is real, will you just speak through him and tell me that you see me and that you love me? And that you haven't forgotten me. I'm praying that. And all of a sudden he stops. I'm not lying. He stops and he says, hey you, what's your name? And I'm like, me? And I'm like, my name's Jared. He's like, hey man, you've been on my mind the whole time I've been up here. Can I just tell you something? I've got two visions. One is God's eyes are on you. And not like a condescending way, but like he's smiling and he rejoices over you. He sees you and he loves you. And I just begin to weep. I'm like, God, God, you love me. You know, it's like, I can't believe this. Like, it's amazing. And he says, here's another vision that God's given me. He says, and he doesn't know anything about me. He says, uh, I see you in India with a megaphone in your hand and all these little children around you. And he's like, don't freak out. I'm not saying you're going to India. He's like, but um, I think God's called you to preach the gospel. Are you a preacher? And I was like, yeah, I preach you. I think God's called you to preach the gospel. And look, that's what the megaphone's all about. And he goes, and he's called you to preach the gospel in an area that's spiritually malnourished. In an area where people are feeding on a bunch of stuff, but they're not really experiencing, they're not really being filled with God. And since God's called you to, to get in the Word, to study harder than you ever have before, and to preach the full counsel, and to provide a context where people can come and be fed and actually swallow this stuff and grow and go and feed others. And I cling to that promise. I've never shared that with anybody other than the pastors before or my wife. But that's why I stand up here. I don't stand up here each week so that we can look and say, well, that was a great service and go about, man, like, I look out and I see a people, not just you, but in our city that are spiritually malnourished, who they know the rumors of God, but they've yet to experience it as a reality. And I just want you to know on behalf of Adam, on behalf of Luke, on behalf of the leaders, we're going to do the best we can to come here and to preach to you the gospel, to lay out the full counsel of God, to provide an environment, a context where you can work this out in missional communities and fight clubs. But look at me, please listen to me. We cannot force feed you. We can put it out there for you. But you've got to be the one that takes it and swallows it. You've got to be the one that applies this stuff to your life. You have no idea, as we sung earlier, how much God loves you. And the life that he has for you. My prayer is you'll believe it. You'll take it and you'll apply it to your life. When I think of what it means to be a Christian, when I think of the Christian life, I think we can sum it up like this, and I'll put it up on a graphic for you. Becoming a Christian is first about, in faith, embracing the love of God. That's the first step to experiencing. Before you can experience the life God has for you, you need to experience the love that God has for you. The reality is... Nobody in here has been perfect at applying God's word to their lives. I sure haven't. Even last night, I screwed up at this. I'm sitting there at our dinner table, and Nora is somewhere else, and she's like, Dad, I need your help, and I'm trying to finish dinner. And I said, give me 10 seconds, babe. And then all of a sudden, Megan speaks up, and she says, Hey, Jared, it's been more than 10 seconds. And I said, Ah, she don't know that. And Megan says, Yeah, but you do. In other words, like, quit being a liar. 
We laugh and giggle about that. Do you understand the Bible says that little bitty, itsy-bitsy sin is enough to damn me to hell for an eternity because it's a sin against a holy God. And yet, rather than God damning me and being good, right, and perfect for doing it, what does he do? He sends his son to live a perfect life that I could never live. He knew I couldn't pull it off. He sends Jesus to live a perfect, sinless life on my behalf, and then he goes to a cross, and he suffers in my place. And then he raises from the dead, and he conquers sin, death, and hell, so that now we can experience the love of God. He fills us with his spirit, and the same love that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from eternity past, now we can begin to experience that type of love. As we are receiving that in faith, here's the next part of the Christian life. As we are continuing to receive the love of God, we then begin to move and we begin to extend that love to others. We begin to serve. We step out in faith and we say, you know what? This life is not all about me. It's not. And we begin to say, just as God has loved me, I want to love others. Just as he served me, I want to serve others. Just as he's given his life to me, I want to give my life to others for their good and God's glory. And as that begins to happen, look, as you begin to serve and lay yourself out for others, you begin to discover your gifts. You begin to discover your personality and your passions, and you get a sense of calling in your life. That's the third thing, is you get a sense of calling as you begin to experience what it is that God has laid out specifically on your hands to do, and you step out in faith. It is then that you finally begin to see God's kingdom come and His will being done in your heart in your life, and in the lives of others around you. Guys, this is what we're going to be calling you to in this series. This is what we're calling you to. Please hear me. This is good news this morning. God did not save you and leave you here to live a spiritually mediocre life. God did not save you and leave you here just to experience a spiritually mediocre life, to just kind of manage your sins, try not to drink, try not to cuss, try not to smoke, just manage your sins, sitting around waiting for heaven. God created you for grandeur. God created you to experience an abundant life. And we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come, but it all starts with first, in faith, swallowing, receiving the love of God.